Welcome to the Truth Be Known podcast, bringing you the objective truth boldly, candidly, and without apology. Welcome to this week's episode. Well, welcome back to another episode of the Truth Be Known podcast. I'm Nathaniel Jolly. And I'm Eki Tepsipornchai. And uh, guys, we have a very special guest, uh, uh, Tom Buck. It's good to have you on the show, brother. Thanks for giving us your time. Uh, it's great to be with both you guys. Appreciate you all so much. Brother, the topic today is near and dear to your heart, I think, talking about the G3 workshops, um, the expository preaching workshops, what that looks like. Uh, for a lot of our audience, maybe just what what is an expository anything? Um, and so we've got a bunch of, you know, lay folks who may have not heard that term before, but, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, brother, where you pastor, um, and then a little bit about, uh, the G3 workshops, what you do, what that is, and then we'll just kind of move from there. I'm one of several pastors. I function as the senior pastor at First Baptist Church, Lindale, Texas. Uh, I have been in the, uh, role or at least the role of a senior pastor for over 25 years. I've been here for, almost 16 years. Um, I have a, uh, a passion for the local church. That's what I love to do. And even my uh, commitment to helping train guys to be expositors is because I, I believe that as G3 does, so goes the pulpit, so goes the church. So we need to have strong pulpits and we're going to have stronger churches when we have men who are rightly handling the word of God in the pulpit. Yeah, amen. What well, you made a you said a phrase there that we hear a lot. Um, as goes the pulpit, so goes the church. For for the guy who's not in the preaching world, they haven't heard that kind of terminology a lot. What what do you mean by that? Why is that important? Because it is actually really important. Well, it's God's primary means by which He uh, gets the Word of God into the life of the people. It's 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 the primary place that. Uh, the, at least the first place that we disciple. It's the first place that we counsel. Uh, I mean, everything else is supplemental to the pulpit. And so Paul told Timothy to preach the word in, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we're to do it in season and out of season. Um, you know, all of the other things we do in ministry are extremely important, but if someone's not regularly under the word of God being preached to, uh, the that that is a means of grace that God has given to the church by which to build his people uh, is through the proclamation of his word. That's not what I've decided it to be. That's what his word reveals that it is. So you think about all the things that we do, whether it be visiting or uh, we were just talking about a moment ago about one of us coming out of a counseling session. Uh, all of those things are supplemental to the main task of preaching the word. And then what we're learning under the word corporately that can help us individually uh, disciple one another and, and build off of that into growing as, as Christians. Now, I, I think most pastors or, or most churchgoers were, would say that their pastors preach the word. Most pastors would say they preach the word. Um, so why, why is it important to be expository in terms of preaching the word? What makes that more specially connected to preaching the word versus alternative methods? Yeah, I think it would be good for us to, first of all, define what we mean by biblical exposition or expository preaching. Some people think that what we mean by expository preaching is preaching consecutively through the Bible, preaching through a book. I believe that's the best way to practice biblical exposition, but that's not the definition of it. Many guys preach through books of the Bible, but they're not preaching expositorily. So expository preaching, in my understanding, is this. 
It is, first of all, uh, it, let's, the simplest definition is the point of the text is the point of the sermon. That'd be the simplest definition. So the way to do it is you have to discover the original point of the text. Then you make that the point of the sermon. Then you communicate that in a way that your audience can understand and see that it's the textual authority that's driving that sermon. And then you make application that's rooted in the person and work of Christ. Now, we don't have the time to break down all four of those things today, but it, the reason why that expository preaching is uh, the, the means, because a lot of times when my pastor preaches from the word, that means they read from a biblical text and then they give a sermon. That is not necessarily expository preaching. It's not a commentary. It's not commenting on what the text is saying. It's discovering what that point of the text is. Now, if the point of the text is God speaking, right? The Holy Spirit inspired the word of God. So you kind of even have to go back to that is what's the nature of scripture. It's God speaking. If that's true, then what people need to hear is not my voice. They need to hear God's voice. They cannot hear God's voice rightly and accurately if I don't understand what God said initially. So just opening the Bible and giving Tom Buck's thoughts on a passage, that may be a sermonette, but it's not expository preaching. And the reason why this is important is if people are going to hear the voice of God, then they have to have confidence when I say, thus says the Lord, that what I'm saying is what the original point that God had in the text was. Now, if you want to expand on that, but that's kind of where I would start. Oh, that's great. And, and what do you think are the common, um, what, so what are the common alternative methods that people do primarily? Um, so, I mean, obviously they're, they're not looking for the main point, but uh, what do you think are the common modes, most common modes of, of preaching from people? I think for, I think for a lot of pastors, what they do is they, they go in search of a text to support the idea that they want to talk about on Sunday. Mm. And, and I think that that's where a lot, in fact, I would say that a lot of bad preaching is not heretical preaching per se. Mm. It's just not biblical exposition. Mm. And um, uh, I can say a lot of right things in the pulpit, but I'm not helping people better understand their Bible. Maybe we'll talk about that more in a moment. Why, how that, why you would want, you want a pastor that's preaching exposition because it'll help you better understand the Bible. But I think that what happens is a guy says, okay, I want to talk on uh, marriage or I want to talk on giving or whatever it may be. And then they go in search of the text. So, the idea starts in the mind of the preacher. Mm. When I do biblical exposition, the idea starts in the mind of the, of the author of scripture. I'm just trying to understand what he's saying, not what Tom Buck wants to say. And then I begin to, to speak what God has said from his word. Probably another thing that happens. So there's a topic that somebody comes up with and topical preaching can be expositional. You know, what if you do have to, pre you know, I got to preach some Christmas messages, right? So I want to go, I look for texts, and But then I want to understand what is Luke's point in recording this story as he does so that I might help people understand that. Um, maybe another way that, that, that people go about it is, uh, or mistakes that are made, is where somebody reads a text and they just kind of, the first thing that strikes them in the text, rather than trying to understand what the point of that text was, understand why the original author included it, what they do is they read through it and they see a word, they see a word or two. Maybe they see what I would call a framework. So they tend to think of every, let's just, let's pick on me for a minute, a Calvinist, I'm five point buck, right? So uh, they're a Calvinist, they read a text. And if they see any word at all, 
that reminds them of the doctrine of election or reminds them of eternal security, uh, uh, you know, or an issue like that, a hot button issue. They then begin to preach that doctrinal truth that might might actually be a sub point within that text, yeah. but not the point of the text. And so they preach sub points rather than the point. So uh, anyway, that's, that's a couple of my thoughts. You may have some of what you see guys do when they open to preach. Well, no, I, I think that's a that, that's a great example. And I even think of uh, Romans 9. We often go there to talk about the sovereignty of God and, and his purpose in establishing his glory through Pharaoh. And uh, we lose sight of the fact, though, that that passage was meant to explain Israel, um, how, how God had been working with Israel and preserving uh, his remnant. Um, that's not to say that he's not sovereign and that that's not a truth that's there. Um, but we can easily lose sight of um, of the big bigger picture. Is that the most common struggle you see with um, preachers that come to the workshops? Um, I know we've had those G3 expository workshops, and we've heard some great things. And, and even my close friend, Mike Riccardi, um, has been there um, to work with you guys as well. Um, has, it been, has that been kind of the common mistakes that uh, preachers make that are seeking additional help? Absolutely is. Uh, when they come in, they... I, I, we never see any heresy, at least. I mean, I've been yeah. involved in workshops for a long time, and I'm not seeing guys come in with prosperity gospel stuff or uh, heretical issues, even doctrinally. Uh, what happens more often than not is they are presenting something and saying, this is what the point of the text is, and it really is not the point. It's a sub point. Or they, they kind of like, this kind of reminds me of, or this sounds like, and then they begin preaching that particular issue. And what's the most detrimental thing about that is they're creating uh, in their in their pews uh, uh, people that really don't know how to study their Bible. I think the greatest way to teach people how to study the Bible is by preaching it in such a way that people can see how you're getting what you're saying from the text. And you're kind of explaining to them, even in how you preach it, uh, that this is this is how you've come to understand what the point of this text is. So, I mean, you've hit on a lot of really good points. And one thing that we've talked about without mentioning it over and over is, you know, really a hermeneutic, what hermeneutic you're using uh, when you approach the text. So I want to throw out a couple of terms and maybe you can define them for us, because I think they're probably terms that unless you're a pastor, you've been through seminary, maybe you don't hear a whole lot. Um, but things like the historical grammatical um, way of interpreting versus, let's say, the redemptive historical, because there is quite a difference. Um, and I think one maybe lends itself to uh, a, a little more danger than the other. Um, do you want to speak to those, kind of define those for us? How does that fit in what, what you're saying? Yeah, well, I'll be honest with you. You're going to have to define the redemptive one, because I've only been involved in one area my entire ministry and life, and that's historical, grammatical, literal interpretation. I, I mean, and I'm not trying to be uh, funny. I honestly the right could one. not define. I know it is because, <laughs> uh, but I honestly couldn't define the other one. So I'll let y'all do that. Why don't y'all do that? And I'll define the historical grammatical. Yeah, you, you'll know it well when I describe it. I mean, it, it, it really only came about in the 1940s through some Dutch theologians. And effectively, it, it looks at the historical context and it, it try to includes um, Christ in everything, basically. These would be the guys who a lot of them we know and love who would say, you know, the whole Old Testament's about Christ, everything's about Christ. And when they preach a text, um, the, the mindset is kind of how, where is Christ in this text? Um, 
but Christ isn't in every text, sort of like looking for Christ under every rock kind of thing. Um, so, so it's everything you preach, you're preaching from the perspective of pointing towards the redemptive nature of Christ. So you would eliminate a lot of just didactic stuff. You would, um, I mean, I find it, um, that, like I said, it's relatively new. It only came around about in the 1940s uh, from the Dutch theologians. But you see a lot of that. Guys who will preach a text, and they'll they'll try to um, insert uh, maybe um, some symbolism uh, of Christ in Old Testament texts where it's that's not the point of the text, right? But that will be the point right. of their sermon. Would uh, would David and Goliath be an example of that? Yeah, David and Goliath would be uh, maybe be an example of that, um, it, giving pictures of Christ in that rather than uh, than what it is. Uh, there, there might be some other oh, examples, but you've you've yeah, heard it for a, sure. Yeah, I don't have a problem with making, and I think we should, because you notice I said in my definition, rooted in the personal work of Christ, the application. Right. So once I get the point of the text, then I do believe we we make a bridge to the, to the gospel and we make a bridge to, uh, and when I say gospel, I don't mean the four spiritual laws type thing, but although that could be part of what I'm doing, but how, how do I as a Christian today in this timeless earth understand and apply this, not through a moralism. And I think that's the danger. We don't want moralism and making something rooted in the person, the work of Christ and what he does for us that enables us to live this truth uh, that we just learned is essential to not having moralism. Would we at least all agree on that? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So the historical, the historical grammatical is one of the things I often say is a text can never mean now what it never meant then. Mm-hmm. So um, the meaning of any given text is rooted in the original audi- off author's intent and the original audience. Um, because the Bible has been given to us in literary form. It was written to, you know, I'll often say that one of the biggest mistakes that's made is thinking the Bible was written directly to you, and it wasn't written directly to you. Mm. It was written directly to an audience that then that truth applies directly to you, but you will never understand what it originally meant, uh, or excuse what it means until you understand what it meant to the original audience. So when we say historical, when I study a text uh, of Scripture, uh, let's take a New Testament text at this point, I look for the context. There's three areas of context. There's the immediate context within the book itself. There's the historical context that goes back to the original audience, the circumstance, the occasion, to to understand what that, that means. I think a great example of that is, I think you can totally resolve the whole issue of the head coverings in Corinthians if you go back to the historical context and then understand how that, if you understand the principle of what's being taught of submission, then the head covering thing to me becomes much easier to understand when you understand how that was being applied in that historical context. Uh, and that's it's not saying a direct line from then to here of the application. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's the story. What's the occasion in the historical context? Then finally, I would call it the biblical context. And what I mean by that, obviously, it's all in the Bible, but there may be a citation, Old Testament citation, an allusion, something of that nature, and which requires you to go back and understand the original point of the Old Testament text 
in order to see how the New Testament author is using that in the context that he's in. So historical is kind of a really broad term in that. It involves all the Bible. It involves the, uh, uh, the context of the original audience. It involves the context of Scripture itself at large. And then grammatical is taking the whatever particular type of literature we're studying, poetry is different than ap- apocalyptic, it's different from discourse and so forth and so on. Uh, if we're doing discourse, for example, then we have to understand, I understand the meaning of this text through the general rules of, of studying any piece of literature. I, I, in some ways, I, I use the same type of tools for understanding the New Testament text as I would understand the Constitution of the United States. Uh, that, had a his, that had an original audience, that had an original meaning to the authors, and I study the grammar of that, understanding that the, the verb tenses, the, the uh, um, uh, various grammar conjunctions, whatever it may be, are helping me understand what the point of that author is. And so if I take a subordinate clause, for example, and make that the point of the sermon, I'm clearly making a mistake in what the point was. I have to understand grammar in that. Uh, and of course, the same thing is, is true in narrative. I have to understand how narrative functions. I need to understand that there are even different tools that I use for coming to understand the point of a, a grammatical text, uh, excuse me, a, a narrative text, as I do, uh, as opposed to a discourse text. Yeah, and, and you brought up a, a good point. Those are very helpful uh, descriptions, but you also brought up a good point in terms of um, understanding it in its context. And I think of John Stott, the between two worlds, right? You're going into the world right. of the Bible, understanding it there. And once you've understood it there, then you can kind of transport it now into current times and try to draw out the, the, the principles. Um, would you say that a lot of maybe the more progressive movements of Christianity, the, the, the more liberal movements, that, that they make this error in terms of not reading it in its context? And and then how do they arrive at some of the you know, wrong positions that they're at in this method, not, fought by, not following this method? Well, I think it's what I said earlier is when we take our framework, and that's not just true, true or progressive, it's true of any, any framework. Frameworks are not inherently bad. But any time that we take a framework and we force it upon the text, we're in, we're in great danger. Yeah. Now, if you have a bad framework, it's even worse. So people can take good frameworks and force it upon the text and it come out bad. People take really bad frameworks and they're looking for that uh, to force it upon the text. I, I was listening to something that Southeastern Seminary did where they were talking about finding social justice in the Old Testament. And the professor literally said, once you put on the glasses of social justice, you see it everywhere. Well, I agree with him on that. Yeah. Uh, once you put on the framework of anything, if you go to your Bible with the framework of Calvinism, the framework of, of whatever it may be, social justice, and that's what you put the lenses on, you're going to see stuff everywhere. In fact, things that aren't even there. So that is one of the big problems that we have. Or we could take the charismatics reading, by his stripes, we are healed. If you come to that text with the preconceived ideas of, of the prosperity gospel, of course, I see how they read that out of that in, into that text. I said, Jesus, but you can't read it out of the text. If a text cannot have the meaning apart from you bringing the framework and forcing it upon it, yeah. then you are out of bounds uh, for what God intended. And you're saying you're, you now have become not a preacher, but a ventriloquist. In other words, you're putting words into the mouth of God and you're not speaking the word of God. That thought ought to be frightening for the preacher, 
to put words in the mouth of God that aren't there. Um, yeah, I, I was reading on Twitter this morning, an example of that same thing was someone used the passage that often gets uh, ripped out of context, where two or three or more are gathered, right? Um, right. And uh, yeah, I, I think sometime back, I posted something that said where two or three are gathered, dot, 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 uh, church discipline is happening. <laughs> you know, right. <laughs> It, it caused a bit of an uproar. People didn't like that. But but it's just a good example of the many ways that we often hear. And and I hear it. I mean, just for instance, that one, um, that text I hear in even otherwise relatively healthy churches, you know, our own circles. I would hear uh, people use that text that way. So it's important, um, you know, that we as preachers use right hermeneutics, that we approach the text in, in a proper way. But brother, well, let, me, let me say one thing to that. Let me say one thing to that. Nathaniel. Yeah, sure. I think that that kind of emphasizes something as well. A lot of times when guys use texts like that, it's because that's how they've always heard it taught. Mm-hmm. And one of the worst frameworks for us is when we come to a text thinking we already know what it means mm. because we've heard it taught somewhere else, or we maybe even preached it ourselves wrongly 20 years ago. And rather than coming back and restudying it again, it's like, oh, man, I was wrong. We just go ahead and continue to perpetuate the, the wrong teaching. So it's important every time we come to a text to, in our minds, set aside our frameworks and approach the text as if we have no idea at all what it means and try to understand it from its original uh, meaning. And that takes some intentionality, right? Because, I, I mean, being humans, we I, I mean, I'm, I'm certainly guilty of this myself. You approach a text and you think, I just preached on this not too long ago. I've got it. I don't really need to do all the groundwork. Um, and, and so, yeah, I think it takes a great intentionality and love for and care for God's word to be able to say, well, I, I, I think I know what the text is, but let me set that aside and re, you know, restudy this out. Yeah, I think what you're saying is a good plug that kind of combats some of the idiocy I heard that came out of Nam recently. Um, yeah, I don't do the 11th commandment thing. Anyway, uh, and, and basically the premise was for preachers who are planting churches to spend very little time on your sermon prep and spend more time. And I think it was, you know, you don't need any more than whatever, six or eight hours or four or six hours. Spend all the rest of your time, you know, with friends and with people and whatever. Um, and I think if, if that's the goal, to spend as least amount of time in sermon prep as possible, surely you're more likely to do these other things poorly. W- would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, it takes, you know, six to eight hours. I'm just barely getting into really wrapping my mind around uh, the structure of the text, and which is what, it, you know, shows you the emphasis and leads you to help and understand what the point is. Yeah, I, I I'm just baffled by that, uh, and I think what it, it what it displays is how little uh, emphasis and and weight we put upon the the importance of preaching. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I can can you imagine Paul saying that to Timothy for crying out loud? I mean, Timothy yeah. was a church planter, wasn't he? You know, essentially, he was going in. Paul was planting churches. He didn't tell Titus and all these other guys to to hey, you know, just spend uh, as little time as possible and and and. You know, I I don't know. It's just to me, it's it's ridiculous beyond even discussing. It's sad that we even have to discuss it. Yeah, I often when I go to Second Timothy chapter four, I often let people know, hey, this is this is the last letter we have from Paul. That's to his spiritual child in the faith, the one that was going to carry the mantle forward. 
And in chapter four, you have the most heavily emphasized command that you find in that uh, book, which is to preach the word. Now, I, I also think that this has given rise to a lot of these kinds of uh, sermon preparation services that has led to um, plagiarism and, and things of that nature, that if we start to de-emphasize it, then why not just borrow someone else's? Uh, would you agree with that? Absolutely. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cultivate that type of environment. And, you know, let's just, here's what we know. I mean, I get, you know, if, if I'm preaching a text uh, and I'm using somebody else's material, I mean, what are the odds, you know, that I'll preach the exact same sermon as somebody else, even if I don't use their material? Uh, I mean, that's just just craziness. So the, it just evidences the fact that they haven't spent any time in the work whatsoever to wrestle with those things. At least come up with something different. At least find, I, I would think you could plagiarize a sermon and probably find out something that you're going to disagree with uh, <laughs> if you've studied the Bible at all. But yeah, it's it's going to cultivate that and it's going to it's going to make guys feel OK. It's going to soothe their their conscience or or maybe soothe is not even the right word. It's going to harden their conscience, sear their conscience, uh, because they're they they do feel the pressure of that. So what we this is why we have workshops. We have workshops because we understand the weight of that. So what, why wouldn't Nam? And by the way, I offered free scholarships to anybody in Nam for our workshops. Nobody took Nobody took us up on it. Hmm. Hmm. Free workshops. You hmm. would think that Nam would go, hey, this is what we need for our guys so that you can use your time better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, I think you, you look at, we talked about some examples already of Paul speaking to Timothy and how he gives emphasis on spending time in the word. But I mean, even the apostles themselves, right? When the church came to them and said, hey, look, the widows aren't getting um, their food. Uh, their response was pick from among yourselves, worthy men. Um, what we need to do is spend our time in prayer and in the word. I, I mean, right. that that's the example, right? And that's a pretty weighty thing. I mean, they said um, it's not good for us to give food to hungry widows. Um, I mean, that wouldn't go well in our culture today, um, but such a heavy emphasis on the word. How can we have anything other than that? I agree wholeheartedly. Well, and you, you, you said oh, go something. Ahead, uh, yeah, sorry about that. You, you had mentioned a great point about, uh, about frameworks. Um, we don't want our framework to what guides us in the interpretation of a passage. Um, and yet frameworks themselves are not bad. So for instance, uh, we talk about the five points of Calvinism, or we can talk about various forms of eschatological thinking and all that kinds of stuff. Um, the best kind of framework is one that is obviously informed by scripture. Um, but but how do you how do you teach someone to make sure that they have the right attitude towards a, a framework um, and, and avoid the, those pitfalls? The first thing we do is I try to say set your framework aside when you come to any text. That doesn't mean we set our brain aside. We set the framework aside. Here's one reason why. Let's say a passage is really dealing with um, the. Uh, we'll just use eternal security for example, and the passage is dealing with our need to, to keep ourselves uh, in the faith, take Jude, a portion of Jude. And of course, the other side's there too in Jude if we're kept, right? But, but I think sometimes we take the teeth out of what the text is trying to say. Kind of like, you know, I think it was Spurgeon. Maybe it's one of those things that was falsely accredited to him. Where, but, you know, where you're talking about the, the responsibility of man, if that's what the text is talking about in responding to the gospel, then that needs to be the emphasis. You don't need to preach five minutes on, uh, God's sovereign choice uh, if the text is talking about the responsibility of the man or on the flip side, 
if it's talking about God's sovereign choice, uh, don't, you know, don't take the other side and try to force that framework on that. But set your framework aside so it doesn't rule what you're trying to say, what the text is saying. Let the text be king. And then one of two things happen is either reinforces your framework. Say, like, yep, that was right. That's a, that's a perfectly right framework uh, at this point. Or what happens is that uh, we learn that mm, my framework actually is not right uh, based on what the text is saying. And, you know, it'll cause you to abandon a wrong framework and reinforce a good framework. But it's being driven by the text, not by uh, not forced upon the text. You want to add something that maybe you have something else to add to no, that? No, I, I think that's uh, no, that's that's really good. Um, and, and I think that's, you know, when we ta- start with the framework, you had mentioned the word eisegesis, and that's the danger that we're trying to avoid. Um, eisegesis meaning reading meaning into the text, exegesis meaning reading it out of it. And you had mentioned also really as part of just hermeneutics, there, there's a lot of hermeneutics that's just general principles of communication that for some reason most people abandon when they come to scripture. You know, when they read a letter from someone, when they're reading a newspaper article, they automatically read it in, in a context that helps them to understand it in context. And, and we want to give the word of God the same benefit of the doubt rather than just assuming it's some, something mystical and that, you know, it's uh, malleable and, and we can make it say whatever we want it to say. Yes, absolutely. Well, I think this has been really good and helpful. I want to kind of change directions a little bit and talk more specifically um, about, I mean, we've kind of talked about the purpose of the workshops, uh, but just in in summary, if a pastor's listening and he's like, I'm, I'm liking what I'm hearing, I could use a refresher, or maybe he hasn't been to seminary and he just doesn't have any of this initial training at all. Um, what would you say to him when he asks the question, why should I come to the workshop? Well, it's interesting. We have a very a, a broad variety. We had a guy in the last workshop I did. He was in my small group. He in the middle of the group, he said, I've never been to school before. And I thought he meant you know, Bible College Seminary. Find out he had never been to school in his entire life. Wow. He was uh, raised in Romania as a, and it was a gypsy and had never been in any formal education. So here he was just soaking it up that he was learning how, even issues of grammar. He didn't understand. And he was learning in that mm-hmm. We had other guys in there that had, you know, graduated from seminary uh, in the same small group. And we're helping one another grow because that's what we're doing is we're making progress. And so that's what we say the workshops are about. It's making progress. Every one of us can. I learn from every workshop I go to. If I weren't leading them, I would go to them. And I did that prior to leading them because it helped me grow in that. If you think of, you know, if you're chopping firewood, Nathaniel, you might know about this. You live in an area where you might have to chop some. If you're chopping firewood and you've got an axe and it becomes dull, uh, you can keep on chopping with a dull axe and you'll probably get some type of a, a benefit from that. And, 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 but if you stop to sharpen your axe and you go back to work with a sharp axe, you're going to be far more productive. So I see these workshops for guys like myself, even that have been in seminary, have a D-men even in preaching. Uh, those things don't magically get bestow upon you the ability to open the Bible. Like, oh, I understand the text completely in my few minutes and uh, all that. I need to constantly be sharpening my axe. And that's what these workshops are for, uh, to help us understand how we need to apply. And there's practical application in small groups where we're working through texts that each guy's assigned a couple of texts that they come and they get feedback and they get they get some you know, uh, collaboration uh, with guys around the table as we think through the text together. 
and we begin to be iron sharpening iron in that situation. So I, I cannot express enough how important these workshops are mm. for every pastor, whether it's his first year or his you know, 40th year in preaching. There's something you can grow from that. So I heard a while back this verse used because uh, there's been workshops since Proclamation Trust in, in England, came over here to Simeon Trust, where I learned a lot of principles as well. Uh, but listen to this text from 1 Timothy 4. He, Paul tells Timothy, take pains with these things, immerse yourself in them so that your progress will be evident to all. And there, that's in the context of, of him, a public reading of scripture, exhortation, teaching, preaching. So that's what we need to be doing. And our workshops help us immerse ourselves in a particular book of the Bible. And when we walk away from that two-day workshop, we now have a good handle on that biblical book so that we can go back and within I think a matter of a few weeks to maybe a few months be prepared to start preaching that in our pulpit Hmm. yeah that's good brother so what you in the midst of that let me ask another question you kind of talked about this as well already but what's kind of how how do they work guys travel to um, they spend a couple days what's it kind of look like in 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 terms of that yeah, it's two full days, like eight to five, and we have instructions that we give that are uh, uh, what we would say commitments that we need to have if we're going to be expositors, and then skills, skills, S-K-I-L-L-S, that we need to learn, tools that we need to apply to be a good expositor. So a commitment, for example, might be that uh, we're not going to say, you must be committed to not say more uh, or less than the text says uh, every time you come to the scripture. Uh, and then a tool might be uh, that learning to determine what the structure of the text is. How do you how do you use grammar and other type of tools to determine what the, the, the text, uh, the structure of the text is? Because that's going to help you lead you to what the point of the text is. So there are those lessons. And then in addition to that, uh, we have small groups where we spend time with guys going through the, the various pericopes of of that particular book. And then we have a couple of sermons that are preached uh, in those two days. So it's two full days, a lot of intense work, but we're, that's what we're there to do. We're there to work for two days. And you're not just sitting and being lectured to the whole time. There are some lectures, but then there's uh, work that you're doing uh, within small groups to actually apply what you're learning. Okay. And and so where would guys go if they want to sign up for these? Where could they find out where the workshops are, how they get to them, all that sort of thing? All they need to do is go to the G3 website. And on the G3 website, I'll just pull it up now to show you exactly where, where you go. When you go there, uh, there's a place, a little three dots over there at the top. In fact, sometimes some of it may be right there at the bottom of upcoming events. But as you go to the to the top uh, of the menu bar and over to the right, there's little three dots. You open it up and just click on workshops and it'll come up. And there you can tells you more about the workshops, has a video of Bodie Bauckham talking about the workshops and what they meant to him and why he's excited about them. Uh, also, some participants that tell you a little bit about the workshop and then uh, how you can get signed up. Okay, great. And we'll put that in our show notes as well. It was interesting. I think recently I saw... Um, uh, a, a tweet from a guy who attended uh, a recent one of these and basically said that he needed to go back and rewrite a sermon. 
Um, that, <laughs> and, and it was, I mean, yeah. really it warmed my heart because it, it yeah. was indicative of a, of a guy who went and um, was, you know, shown, um, you know, how he could do his sermons better and yeah. walked away thinking, I, this is how I can be more faithful. Now I'm actually going to go and rework my sermon to do that. Um, that just well, sounds well, let like. Let me tell you something. Yeah, let me tell you something funny about that. I uh, I went to this last workshop with Mike Riccardi. Okay, he was helping lead it. He and I were leading it together. On Friday, he gave a lecture on that we call Cross the Bridge. So we do one lecture uh, where he takes the sermon he preached in the morning and then helps us see how he went from his exegetical work to his sermon. How did he craft his sermon that they just heard? Uh and I sat there just mesmerized listening to Mike Riccardi talk about this. I thought it was fantastic. He said a couple of things in that. I left the workshop and went back and I reworked my sermon for Sunday based on some things that he had given as pointers of how to better communicate a sermon. I preached it Sunday morning and I had multiple people coming to me saying that it was the clearest sermon they'd ever heard me preach. Wow. 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 So here I am going to a workshop to, to, to lead and to teach and to help guys. I'm sitting and listening to one of the other workers. And I, that's the whole thing of First Timothy 4, immerse yourself in these things to make progress. I went to a workshop and made progress. These workshops aren't about experts coming to teach you. These are about men who are working together, all laboring to become better in how we handle the word of God. Wow. I, I, that's about the best advertisement you could ever get from something like this. Um, it, yeah, this, this is this is where I can boast that Mike Riccardi was one of my preaching professors in seminary. Um, I, I did spend a semester with him and uh, benefited quite a bit. Um, I, let me ask you this, though, and, and uh, I know, Nathaniel, you have, you've got a question. Let me ask this. For the person in the pew um, who may be satisfied with you know, less than expository sermons. I mean, they they like a lot of the the stories and the illustrations and, and the jokes and, and whatnot. Why should they even entertain the idea of their pastor wanting to go to an expository workshop and uh, becoming more of an expository preacher? What what would you say to the to the average layperson? Well, I think it's as simple as this: when you go to church on Sunday, do you hear what you do? You want to hear what God said or what Bob said? And if you want to hear what God said then you've got to have a preacher in the pulpit who is laboring to study, to show himself an approved workman unashamed. That's there not to please the people in the pew, ultimately, but to please God. That's who he's supposed to. That's what Paul told Timothy. He said, you want to be a pr approved workman to God, yeah. just like a, a, a soldier who wants the approval of his, uh, of his, of his general. When I stand in the pulpit, when I leave, the most important things are not what people in the pew say about my sermon, but what God says, uh, did, did, you know, whether I got that you know, communicated what he had to say or not. So that'd be one thing. The second thing I would say is if you really want to learn to study your Bible rightly, then send under a man who preaches it rightly. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the most important thing that somebody can say to me when I leave on a Sunday morning is not, Tom, that was so great. I can't believe how you got that out of that text. I would have never seen that. I, I can't, I, I would never seen that if you hadn't just said it. The most important thing is for somebody to go say, wow, Tom, I, I, I see how you got that. Everything you said this morning, I may have not known it before I got here, but I see exactly how you got that from this text because that's clearly what is being said there. Um, to me, you learn how to study your Bible from sitting under a good expositor. Uh, do you want your children? 
to learn how to study their Bible, mm-hmm. take them and sit them under a good expositor. Uh, you know, you, you want the power of God to be moving among your people, then uh, the real power of God happens when God's word is preached. Uh, you can get a lot of human responses out of jokes and stories and everything else, but real life-changing power comes from the word of God being unleashed weekly, verse by verse. Yeah, and that's that's such a, a great point about not wanting to be a person seen as pulling something out that no one else would have gotten. But I think the best um, sermons that I've heard are people that expose things that were there right in front of my face all along. But for whatever reason, I just didn't connect the dots. But once they pointed out, it became so obvious. Absolutely. And that they can then go and tell somebody else, hey, here's how you got this from this text. If they can't explain it, you either didn't explain it well or they weren't listening or you really weren't uh, preaching what the text literally says. Amen. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going, Eki. So that worked out well. Um, yeah, I think uh, oftentimes uh, if if someone can come to a text and come to a conclusion that no one has ever had come to in the last, you know, thousand years plus, it's probably wrong. Um, you know, but we have a lot of that these days. Well, just still kind of talking about the, the layman, and maybe we'll kind of wrap up with this. Um, what would you say for the guys who are because a lot of folks are doing this now, uh, moving, uh, they're looking for a new church, or they've just started visiting a church, and uh, maybe this is the first time they're hearing a bunch of this, and, and so they would say, well, Tom, what, what questions should I be asking? What should I be looking for um, t- to help me see if, if this is that kind of place or not? Well, I, I think in some, in some respects, what we're talking about, you're not going to have to ask a lot of questions. You're going to have to sit and listen to a lot of sermons, so to speak. You know, maybe not 100 sermons, but listen and then open the Bible and see if, if he's explaining the text to you in a way that exemplifies what we've been talking about. Um, if, if the pastor's not doing that, you find a In fact, that's why we should pick a church. We should pick a church on whether it's preaching the word. Now, I would say the same thing about music. The music needs to be doctrinally sound and be consistent with the word. Um, but I can put up with bad music if I got good, bad, bad preaching, because eventually the music's going to be right, get right if the, yeah. if the preaching is right. So the pulpit, is, that's what I mean. That's what we mean by as goes the pulpit, so goes the church. If you've got bad music, uh, that's not in line with God's word. I guarantee you don't have good preaching that's mm-hmm. preaching in such a way that it's reflecting uh, good theology from a right understanding of the text. Um, so, and, and if you get good preaching, you'll get the other. So I'd say go in, you listen to the sermons. I would, before I would even visit, if it's possible, you know, d- listen to their sermons online. To add on top of what, uh, what, what Tom said, um, essentially, what I what I tell people when uh, they listen to a good sermon is, does the text make more sense to them? Um, are they able to go back to the scripture and say, this makes more sense? Or did they simply just get some great insight from a person or some great ideas? You know, so it should always be connected back to scripture. And I think even people that are not necessarily that mature in the faith can can listen to a message and come away knowing whether they understand the scriptures better or not. Do they understand the context better? Do they understand the historical, um, what, what's going on historically and, and the audience and, and the speaker and those kinds of things. And I think people, people know it when, when they hear it, even if they haven't been exposed to it. But yeah, I think that's the main question I, I tell people to ask themselves, does the text make more sense once you've heard from that? Where on the other hand, if you get people who are, for instance, allegorizing, 
Um, they're allegorizing their text. They're, they're making it say something else. Well, that's the kind of thing that no one's going to get out of that unless you listen to that speaker, right? Um, or if you're getting a, a Joel Osteen kind of text where he's really just kind of preaching his own ideas and sprinkling scripture through there, well, you really haven't grown in your understanding of those verses um, at all. So the question is, did you learn about the word of God itself and, and what it said? Does it, did it become a little bit more plain to you um, after you heard that message? Yeah, my, my authority as a preacher comes from the word of God. I, don't, I have no authority apart from a proper interpretation of scripture. The job of a pastor is not to get people to obey me. It's to get them to obey God's word. So if I've not told them what God has said, and I'm only giving them my own ideas, then I've displaced, I've put God aside. I've displaced him and I've become the one who I want people to obey. I don't, I mean, it's happening. It's not happening consciously, but that's the reality of it. If I say this text means X, therefore you need to do Y, then I now, and the text doesn't mean X, but it means I've made it mean something else. And I'm telling them to obey the word of Tom, not the word of God. That's dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, brother, I really appreciate your time coming on with us. Now, there are a couple workshops coming up. It's um, December the 14th now. Uh, why don't you tell us about those just in case guys listening have some time uh, and they could register soon. You've got one or two coming up soon here, right? Yeah, we've got one in Little Rock, Arkansas. So, uh, you know, there's still time to be a part of that workshop, especially if they live within, you know, driving distance for sure. But that's January 19th and 20th. Uh, Lance Quinn is going to be there. I think you guys know Lance Quinn, yes. great yes. preacher, and uh, he's going to be with us uh, in Little Rock, Arkansas. Mar we'll be in the Gospel of Mark, uh, and that's so important. Gospels is one of the places where guys really uh, mispreach the, the point text because Mark will have a story and Matthew will have a story and, and the same story. And often what guys will do is they'll preach the story uh, the same in both Gospels. When Mark has a reason and a purpose for telling that story, that may be different and usually is different than Matthew's. Uh, so we we're not to preach. A, we're not to synthesize the Gospels mm -hmm. and preach everything that ever got. We need to learn what what it, why did Mark tell this story? What's his point? What does God want us to know here? So we'll be in that narrative, and then uh, we're going to be doing Second Timothy uh, in Santa Clarita. Uh, California, March 7th and 8th. That's the Monday and Tuesday before Shepherd's Conference. Great opportunity to have a full week of, of learning to preach ex in, in an expository way and then going and hearing good expository preaching. And we've got Vody Bauckham and Josh Bice going to be there with us for that particular workshop. Uh, I'm telling you, where else could you go uh, for the amount of money that we charge and be able to spend two days with, with guys like that to study and grow and learning how to handle God's word better. All right. Yeah, that sounds like an awesome opportunity. So uh, again, I'll put the link to G3's website uh, in the show notes. So guys, you can go, you can check that out. Um, I, I have not yet gone myself. Uh, I'm, I'm hopefully going to go to the one in uh, California if all that works out. So I would encourage you guys to, uh, to attend as well. And Tom, again, thank you so much for coming on with us. Really appreciate the hard work you're doing and your love for pastors and for their churches. I appreciate that, brother. Thank you. Tom. I appreciate both you guys. This is a, an important topic. In fact, I don't think there's many more important topics than this when we're talking about the local church. So appreciate your, your commitment to it as well. Well, guys, thank you for joining us today. And until next time, let the truth be known. The Truth Be Known podcast. 
is a theologically driven, gospel-centered program, serving the body of Christ by bringing biblical truth to bear on issues facing the church today. Subscribe to the Truth Be Known podcast by using the podcast app on your Apple or Android device or listen online at strivingforeternity.org in the podcast section.